with the uncertainty and volatility around economic data releases, I think this normalization in the yield curve is just pricing in that this recovery is far from linear and there's going to be some bumps along the way. And I think that's what we're starting to see kind of be the theme of 2021. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. As restrictions ease across Canada, macro conditions remain encouraging and ever-changing. Yields are normalizing within the bond universe. Innovation stocks, which look to be unstoppable in 2020, are facing higher costs of capital. Lower volatility is bringing down options-generated income. And Canadian banks are continuing to be winners in the reopening trade. In this episode, Chris McKinney, Matt Montemiro, and Mark Rays provide an update on BMO ETF strategies and discuss potential scenarios for the months ahead. Our experts also take advisor questions on a number of interesting topics, including whether or not to hedge to Canadian dollars, what's happening in the oil markets, and whether investors should follow the old maxim, sell in May and go away. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO GAN Canada. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. We really appreciate you listening in as well. Thanks for your questions as we progress. We're joined today by Matt Montemiro and Chris McKinney, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk where Matt focuses on fixed income and Chris focuses on equity and derivative-based ETFs. So thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thank you. Morning, Mark. Let's get right into things. Uh, We've been getting a few questions in on our option overlay strategies, our covered call ETFs. Can you give us an update focused on ZWG, our, our global covered call? Specifically, how far OTM are the options or how far out of the money are the options at this point? We're getting these questions as we come off the volatility spike from COVID. Has that impacted your ability to generate cash flow? Thanks. Sure, and certainly we have seen volatility in the markets come down and implied or expected volatility come down with that as well. Um, you know, the VIX is obviously the, the major measure of expected or implied volatility in the market, and that's the expected volatility on the S&P 500 itself, um, but still a barometer for the broader um, equity markets. And, you know, that's certainly uh, calmed down a lot over the last couple months. I would say, you know, for the, for the majority of the last two to three months, we've seen a VIX under 20, uh, you know, say for a, a spike or two here or there. Um, but generally has been under 20 for the last couple of months. And that's really the first time we've seen that since, um, you know, pre-COVID. Uh, so having said that, though, I mean, a VIX at 17 or 18 is still higher um, than the majority of 2019 or what we saw during 2019 and even most of 2018. So although volatility has come down significantly and is what I would call a more normal level now, 
Um, it's important to note that it still is a little bit higher than what we saw for the, the one to two years, you know, leading into uh, the COVID spike. How that looks on ZWG specifically, um, it means the moneyness of the options, as you mentioned, the out of the moneyness OTM uh, of the options has come down a little bit. You know, we adjust the moneyness of our options depending on the volatility um, in the market. And so as volatility comes down, the moneyness comes down with that. Um, and so, you know, while we were seeing um, earlier in, or in, in 2020, you know, very, very high moneyness levels, that's come down to a more reasonable level. Let's call it about four or five percent out of the money now, um, probably around five percent out of the money uh, on the options on ZWG. Whereas, you know, for much of 2020, we would have seen that in the six, seven, or even eight percent range. Um, and in terms of the yield, um, that's come down a little bit as well, although still fairly healthy. It's probably around a four percent annualized uh, range right now. That might have been a little bit higher at around five or six percent during parts of 2020, particularly uh, March and April, when we saw very, very high volatility spikes. Um, but it is still a pretty attractive level. Um, and again, what we would call probably a bit more normalized level. So we would expect, um, you know, from ZWG, a three to four percent annualized option premium in normal market conditions. And so we are still on the high end of that. We are at about four percent. Um, so, but we are, uh, you know, a bit more normalized in terms of uh, the positioning of the fund. Add on to that, you know, a three plus dividend yield and you're getting a, a portfolio that's yielding over 7%, you know, before fees and things like that, um, with a decent level of growth baked into it with the companies that uh, the underlying companies that it's invested in. So very, very attractive from a cash flow perspective. And again, the option premiums are capital gains as well. So from a taxable perspective, um, certainly very, very, um, attractive cash flow. Um, but we are seeing, again, just to reiterate, we are seeing that come back to a more normalized level. And this is, um, you know, what we tell investors to expect with our covered calls is that, you know, between two and 4% annualized option premium, um, depending on which portfolio you're talking about in the underlying ETFs for ZWG is probably more like, that, again, that three to 4% level. And so we are uh, a bit closer to those normalized levels, although still on the higher end, and again, even though VIX and volatility in general has come down substantially, still a little bit higher than where we have seen it through, through most of 2019. So um, we'll see how that plays out over the next few months, if there will be you know, any setbacks with uh, the reopening trade and, and that element, and if any volatility will be reintroduced into the markets. Um, but we're pretty happy with, uh, with the levels we're, we're at right now. And again, fairly normalized in terms of how we're managing our covered call portfolios. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. I think it's important, as you say, to look back beyond uh, 2020 and, and realize relative to the years prior, we've probably still had uh, a little bit of elevated volatility that way. So thanks for that update. Uh, another update that we're looking for, uh, we've been asked for our outlook on our innovation ETF suite. We certainly saw our broader uh, innovation ETFs at INN experience some volatility out of the gates. It's since settled down a fair bit, but can you comment on the ETF and your outlook for the remainder of the year as advisors think about putting these types of ETFs within a growth sleeve of a portfolio? Thanks. Yeah, I can, I can take that one, Mark. And, you know, we've definitely seen uh, some volatility out of the gates uh, to start the year. I think 
2021 has been, you know, full of ups and downs. Looking at performance of, of the innovation uh, ETFs, you, you see, uh, you know, uh, a chart that is is quite choppy, you know, month to month. Uh, as sentiment has kind of bounced around in the markets, but you know overall thus far in 2021, we, we've seen that uh, that suite of ETFs lag a little bit in, in terms of performance versus the uh, composite year to date. So you know why is that? You know you know these are companies that are at the frontier of innovation in their industries. So you know we've been in an environment of historically low rates, and, and that's really helped to fuel that growth story. So. 2021 has kind of been a reversal of that when we've seen you know, rising rates, yield curve steepening, inflation concerns. You know, we're talking about the reopening of the economy. You know, overall, higher rates does hurt this growth story a little bit, uh, as you know, there these companies the ability to innovate cost effectively in the short term becomes a little bit more expensive as rates go up. So that's kind of what we're seeing here, a little bit of retraction uh, and a little bit of pullback because of that rising rate story. You know, that being said, you know, I do, although there are headwinds uh, in the short term, I think investments in something like ZINN or any of the innovation suite of ETFs, whether it be uh, industrial innovation, genomics, uh, fintech, next-gen internet, you know, I think these ETFs should be looked at as a long-term investment, long-term horizon, kind of like on the bond world, like that long-term equity portion of your portfolio. You know, these are these are mega trends that that have been identified uh, as being impactful over the next few decades, not so much over the next few uh, few months. So, you know, there's going to be some short-term volatility, but I think overall, in the long term, you definitely have. Um, you definitely have that uh, that mega trend uh, on your side. So you know, if you believe in the disruptive impact of innovation in these industries, you know, over the long term, I think this volatility actually does provide an excellent opportunity to to buy low into a long term investment and in, in trend. You know, I would look at this as an opportunity to buy it, buy, uh, buy the dip and, and, and take that volatility, really take advantage of the volatility in the market. You know, look at these short-term deviations as an opportunity to invest um, on the low end over the long term. So, you know, I do think that this point is key when you are considering an investment in any of the innovation ETFs is that, you know, it, it's, you know, there is going to be noise in the short term, but, you know, over the long term, these megatrends uh, do uh, have been identified that, you know, these, we, we expect that these companies will be changing how these industries uh, work over the long term. So, you know, I would use that volatility. I would use that kind of uh, pullback that we've seen so far in 2021 uh, as a great way to, to get in uh, and looking, you know, outward not just for the year, but, you know, long-term and that long-term horizon. So, you know, I think overall the, the, Z, the innovation ETFs that I am in does have a positive outlook. I just think it has to be looked at as a little bit longer uh, time horizon. Great. Thanks for that, Matt. And, you know, as part of your answer, you were talking about the curve a little bit there, but let's dive a bit deeper. We've seen the yield curve, I'll call it stabilized since the rapid steepening earlier in this year. Um, for those sitting in aggregate bond positions like our ZAG, what are your views for further steepening or flattening across the rest of the year and how would it impact that ETF? Thanks. 
Yeah, so you, know, you called it stabilization. You know, I definitely, I definitely consider that the the yield curve uh, recently, maybe in April and May, has normalized. You know, after that that pretty wild start to 2021, where we saw some pretty aggressive steepening. You know, at, at the rate we hadn't seen in in, in many many years. Um, so, you know, I think some people are calling, is this a correction? You know, I over, I wouldn't call this a correction. I would call it, you know, that normalization, that stabilization, as you had mentioned in the question. Um, but I, because I do believe that the trend will still be rising rates overall over the next 6, 12, 18 months. Um, with the uncertainty and volatility around, you know, economic data releases, I think this normalization in the yield curve is just, you know, pricing in that this recovery is far from linear and there's going to be some bumps along the way. And I think that's what we're starting to see uh, kind of be the theme of 2021. Um, you know, fixed income as a whole has definitely been a challenging asset class for 2021. You know, after strongly outperforming in 2020, um, you know, 2021 has been, has been a challenge for a lot of uh, fixed income investors, you know, month after month looking at a little bit of a drag in performance. So, you know, on the positive side, uh, May was the first month of the year where every segment of the Canadian fixed income market, you know, whether it's federals, provincials, corporates, short, mid, long, all had positive performance. Uh, so, you know, that's a good month for your aggregate bond, you know, core fixed income allocation, you know, starting to get a little bit of support with that normalization and stabilization of the, of the yield curve. Um, Given that this recovery is likely to continue to be, you know, choppy, we've talked about volatility, uh, you know, in both my answer prior and, and in uh, Chris's answer, um, you know, I do think that it is prudent to keep that core of your portfolio in an aggregate exposure like SAG. Um, you know, I do think that that exposure is still prudent as, you know, fixed income allocation during volatile markets should be looked at as that, that portfolio stabilization um, uh, that ballast in your portfolio that during uncertain times you have that offset from, from equity market volatility. And I think Zag has all the pieces to help you do that and continue to help you do that, you know, as, uh, as we see the yield curve uh, move around. You know, overall, I think sentiment with its optimism of, of a, you know, expedited vaccine rollout that has been going faster than, than we had expected uh, you know, a potential sooner than, than expected reopening of, of the Canadian economy. Um, I would expect the one-year trend to continue uh, to have yield curve steepening. I just don't think that steepening is going to be, you know, linear. I think it's going to be volatile and it's going to be very data dependent. And we're going to start to see some very interesting economic data releases um, as, you know, I think last year's numbers really are going to skew some of the numbers and releases that we see. So, you know, I think we're going to we're, we're we're in a period of, of significant volatility. Uh, but overall, I still consider Zag a core piece of my fixed income allocation. Um, overall, I would be looking because of that trend of rising rates and and, and further steepening of the yield curve. I would be looking to complement that core with a little bit of a shorter term, maybe corporate exposure. I look at something like ZCS, ZQB, ZBBB all as um, excellent complements to that aggregate zag uh, core of your fixed income portfolio, just to help you ride that volatility wave for the remainder of, of this year and going into 2022. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying the episode, 
We encourage you to tune in to our Deep Dive series, where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM solutions. Our latest episode features the BMO Quality ETF Suite, a full complement of tools to help you access the best companies from around the world. For more information, please see the episode notes below. Now, one that's a little more uh, topical over the last little stretch here is uh, Canadian banks, of course, continuing to benefit on the reopening trade. Uh, Really good, really strong earnings coming in this quarter. Can you give us your views using ZEB on what is pushing the banks even higher, uh, considering the strong run to date? Thanks. Sure, Mark. And certainly, as you say, um, you know, very topical given um, the, the strong earnings releases we saw recently from from really the majority of the Canadian banks, um, you know, showing really positive results in, in fiscal Q2, uh, while we're still really sort of in the in the middle of this pandemic and lockdowns, particularly in Canada, um, or at least we were during that period. Um, and so, you know, I think it's just given investors that that hope that um, you know the Canadian banks are really in a very strong. Uh, position and you know as as economies uh, globally and particularly in Canada continue to reopen and um, and that growth accelerates that the, that the banks will be beneficiaries of that um, you know some of the, the the trends that we saw during um, those earnings releases were you know the, one of the major stories was really the reduction in loan loss provisions um, kind of across the board and so those non-performing loans. Um, you know, think back a year ago, um, last April and May, um, you know, no one was really sure how many companies would, would make it through, what the loan losses would be for banks, and that any sort of economic slowdown would be felt uh, by the Canadian banks specifically as, as people stop paying their loans uh, or businesses stop paying their loans. But really what we've seen is that um, loans have been much stronger performing than than any expectations were, and so um, the, the the dramatic reduction in loan loss provisions, with the expectation that that can continue as well um, in their next quarterly uh, results, uh, is leading the banks higher. We also saw pretty strong overall results from capital markets and wealth management operations within the banks, and so that's a nice. Uh, diversified uh, revenue mix for the Canadian banks. You know, if you're able to capitalize on those capital markets, on wealth management, on traditional banking, again, with those lower than usual loan losses, with a steepening yield curve, that'll help the uh, traditional banking uh, element uh, of the Canadian banks as well. And so you're you're really getting strong performance from a variety of different uh, businesses that, that the banks operate in. And so, you know, again, with restrictions coming down and uh, expectations for economic growth continuing, um, that just provides further tailwind to the banks. The other thing investors are looking for and perhaps starting to anticipate, particularly in Canada, where Canadians love their dividends, they love investing in banks and, and collecting that dividend, is that, um, you know, with those the strong capitalization of banks, that hopefully soon they'll be able to um, start raising those dividends again. Um, as, as a reminder, they were actually paused. Any dividend increases were paused through the COVID pandemic, and that's still on pause for now. So what we saw with the latest earnings releases, that dividends were reaffirmed, um, but they were still not increased. Um, but with capital ratios being as strong as they are, and in fact, I think in some cases stronger than pre-COVID, in fact, in certain banks, um, the expectation is that um, you know banks will be able to resume 
uh, those dividend increases over time. And so I think probably later half of 2020 um, and certainly, or sorry, later half of 2021 and certainly into 2022, you will see those dividend increases start coming through again in the bank. So for income-oriented investors, again, dividend-oriented investors, um, you know, really the best is yet to come in terms of Canadian banks where we expect those dividend increases to start coming through again um, later this year into early next year. So a lot to like there. Um, of course, you know, if there is any bumps in the road with the economic reopening, with that economic acceleration, um, if there's any problems with jobs, people finding jobs, there are still a lot of unemployed people, that could be felt by the banks as well. So that's kind of one of the potential headwinds that are out there. Uh, you know, for investors that do anticipate maybe a slower reopening, of course, we have our covered call banks as well, ZWB. Um, that takes a little bit less growth off the top and adds more um, yield into the portfolio through that call option overlay. And so there's a couple of different options for your investors um, that want that exposure to Canadian banks. It just depends how bullish you are um, on the growth going forward and, and how that will impact those banks. So certainly a very positive environment. Um, and again, a couple of different ways to play depending on what your outlook is. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And good to hear that the Good news, just keeps rolling in on the Canadian banks, clearly a key driver of our uh, market returns here in Canada. At this point, I would like to check if there are questions on the line for Matt and Chris. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my question here. Uh, I was looking to see if you could provide some insight uh, with oil moving up and up having the Canadian petrodollar what are your thoughts on uh, currency hedging? Yeah, I can take that one. And, you know, certainly over the last year, um, you know, the movement in the currency um, between the Canadian and U.S. dollar has at least at a, at a minimum caused Canadians to look at their portfolio and determine if they should be currency hedging um, or not. And, you know, really it's a reminder that if you decide to do nothing and, and, and not act on any currency hedging decision, that really is a decision in itself. Uh, you know, you're not hedging your portfolio, you're, you're taking exposure to foreign currencies, whether it's the U.S. dollar or others. Um, and, you know, we've seen the Canadian dollar appreciate significantly over the last year. And so those that weren't hedged uh, probably did not have as strong returns as those that already were currency hedged. Um, and so, you know, looking back on that, again, a lot of investors trying to decide what should that be going forward. Um, you know, certainly there's, um, I think, a lot of evidence for uh, strong, again, you mentioned oil prices uh, moving up very high. We, we've actually seen them now probably about the highest they've been in two to three years. Um, and technical analysts would, would tell you that we're really at an inflection point here and, and any further strength here would signal significant strength into the 70s and potentially even $80 range um, for oil. Uh, which which would be beneficial for the Canadian dollar. I think, you know, the last time uh, oil was trading around where it is now, around that $68 range, um, you know, the Canadian dollar was probably fairly priced as to as to where oil was previously, um, the Canadian dollar now. So if you expect further continued upside in the oil price, I think that could lead, um, you know, the Canadian dollar to a little bit further strength, um, as well the amount of monetary stimulus um, not just in Canada, but south of the border in particular, leads to a weaker uh, U.S. dollar potentially as well. So there are a couple arguments for uh, continued Canadian dollar strength. Um, but keep an eye on that oil price. Um, you know, if, if it gets into those 70s and even low 80s, you could see another 10 cents 
you know, going from the 120 range down to the 110 range, um, just in terms of that relationship between where oil was, where oil is, and where the Canadian dollar is relative to the, the U.S. dollar. Um, but if you, you know, if you don't get that further strength, there's probably a little bit um, limited more upside in the Canadian dollar. Um, that might lead to maybe less of a hedge, maybe a 50-50 hedge. Um, and if you think oil dollar weakness, uh, if you think we're kind of at the highs here, um, that probably argues to to remain unhedged. And so that, that kind of gives you an outlook, depending on your outlook for oil, um, how you should be thinking about currency hedging. Again, we do think there's probably a little bit further upside here for the Canadian dollar. Um, and if we are at this inflection point with oil, if oil does continue to rally into the 70s, um, certainly that should be beneficial for the Canadian dollar and, and would lead to uh, an argument for hedging. Hi guys, great call and thanks a lot for taking my question. I also have a quick oil related question. With oil appreciating, what are your thoughts on your equal weight oil and gas ETF, ZEO? Do you think it's a good play at the present time? Thanks. Yeah, we think it's a really strong environment for, for oil related companies. Um, ZEO um, being that equal weight exposure to oil and gas um, related equities. Um, you know, we, we saw actually a, a very positive, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of that, that oil price when OPEC Plus sort of reiterated their commitment recently to uh, increase production in July. Um, you know, there were some that thought, you know, if they're going to be increasing production, that would lead to a softer oil price. Um, and while there was a quick sort of knee-jerk sell-off in, in the price of oil after that announcement, very quickly the price recovered. And so it seems the market is very um, comfortable with, um, oil price production increasing um, and, and oil prices not really being affected by that. So we think that actually is another bullish case for, for oil prices to stay fairly high, again, at around $68 now um, and potentially even higher than that. And so we think, you know, oil-related companies um, will, will have that exposure and will have that sort of torque to the upside, um, you know, whether that, that oil price stays where it is now stabilizes somewhere in the, the mid-60s or even goes higher, um, we, we think the oil-related stocks will, will be strong beneficiaries going forward. Hi, good morning. My question uh, this morning is related to the old market adage, sell in May and go away. It's worked in some years and not in others. And I'm just curious to know your thoughts on consumer discretionary and consumer staple sectors for the coming months. And if it makes sense or not to rotate to the more defensive consumer staples at this point in time. Thank you. Yeah, certainly, um, you know, that sell in May and go away is a, is a strategy or, or a saying, I guess, um, that's been around for quite a long time. Um, and it's really related to the seasonality of the markets. Um, you know, what that tells you is that during the summer months, you don't really get uh, much market return. And then when you, um, you know, kind of return from the fall into the fall and buy again back in, call it October, November, um, that's when the majority of, of market gains are made. And so, you know, one other way to express that is to switch between consumer staples and consumer discretionary. The consumer staple stocks, of course, being the more stable, um, you know, we have an ETF STPL that offers exposure to global staple consumer staple stocks. Um, and those are the ones you would hold throughout the summer months. Um, and then discretionary stocks. Um, and again, we, we have an ETF DISC, um, again, global exposure to, to the sector. 
Um, that's the more growth-oriented consumer sector, and that's the one you would buy um, in the fall and, and, and winter months. And there is some, um, you know, reasoning behind this, this seasonality element. You know, first of all, consumer behavior um, itself tends to be seasonal. You, you have a lot of uh, buying into the, the winter months. You know, there is that Christmas effect. Um, you know, Black Friday got its name because uh, consumers would start buying um, and that's when retailers would make all their money in uh, leading up to the Christmas season. So there is a certain element of, um, you know, buying big ticket items, uh, spending for Christmas, and that all happens around the fall months and then through uh, through the winter as well. Um, and then during the summer, people tend to be on vacation. They don't want to have as much risk in their portfolios, and they tend to, um, uh, you know, maybe rotate into the more defensive sector. So there is some element uh, of, of um, reasoning behind it. And, you know, if you do look at a, a, a we, we put out periodically a, a, a trade idea around this and, you know, the history is on the side of making this switch on an annual basis. But of course, like everything, it doesn't work each and every year. And of, and of course, COVID uh, of all years is, is one of those years where it, where it didn't work. COVID screwed up everything, of course. Um, last year, you know, if you weren't invested in May, um, you probably would have had a pretty pretty bad year because all of the downside was in was in March, uh, and a significant amount of growth happened over the summer months. Certainly, it started in April, um, but if you weren't invested over the summer months, you missed a significant amount of, of market growth and consumer discretionary being a, being a part of that. So, you know, it's certainly a, a, an interesting way to tilt the portfolio, um, but we would recommend, of course, investors to to stay invested because you don't know which of the years it will work and which it won't. Um, but I, it is an interesting idea to tack on to, you know, the core of your portfolio um, on the satellite position, um, you know, tilt your portfolio to either stables or discretionary using one of these ETFs. Um, and, you know, seasonality could be one of those factors into, um, you know, how you make that decision to switch off, off and on. But we think it's a great way to, to add a tilt into a portfolio that's already fully invested. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today. Uh, another good call covering a lot of areas of the market, some good points we can bring back to our own conversations. Uh, thanks everyone for listening in. Thanks to, of course, both Matt and Chris for your insights. Uh, well appreciated by everyone. And with that, I just want to wish everyone a great day. Thank you to Mark Ray's Matt Montemuro and Chris McKinney for joining us on Views from the Desk. Today, we heard valuable updates on ZWG, our global dividends ETF, ZINN for innovation-focused equities, ZEB for equal weight exposure to Canadian banks, bonds, currencies, oil, and more. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.